Hello. This is the Fortify Podcast, stories that provide hope and strength for the journey. I'm Erin James Brown, the Director of Discipleship at Urban Village Church. This podcast is a new project in 2017. Urban Village Church, as a part of helping people grow in their faith, will release bi-weekly podcasts just like this, featuring stories from real people who testify to what God is doing or maybe what God is not doing in their lives. So every other week, come back. I'll interview a person from one of the UBC sites in Chicago, Illinois, and ask them about the mundane, the interesting, and the most difficult parts of their life. This week, we hear from Valerie. Hi, Urban Village. Welcome to the Urban Village Discipleship Podcast called Fortify, helping you find strength for the journey on your journey of faith. I'm Erin James Brown, the Director of Discipleship at Urban Village Church in Chicago, and today I'm with Valerie. She is at Hyde Park Woodlawn, UVC Hyde Park Woodlawn, and we're talking more about Valerie and her life. Hey, Valerie. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I have been a big fan of yours for a long time. I don't know if that's awkward to find out over a podcast, (laughs) but um, I have just kind of learned about you as I've been a part of the Urban Village Orb and followed you pretty religiously on Facebook, and I think you're such an interesting person, so I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thanks. I did not know any of that. Um. (laughs) That's because it's kind of embarrassing, and I didn't... (laughs) Um, but you are a part of an organization that I really admire here in Chicago. I know they have several locations, but, uh, BYP 100 black youth project 100, um, is on Facebook and they post lots of really great things and ways for people to get involved, but also it's predominantly from what I understand, a membership organization of just young black people in Chicago. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So um, we're an activist based um, member group. um, And specifically, as you said, it's young black people. Um, Our specific demographic is ages 18 to 35. And we're um, in seven areas throughout the country, the Bay Area, Detroit, Chicago, D.C., New York, New Orleans, um, and Durham. Cool. Can you... um... Tell me the story of how you became aware that you wanted to be a part of activism or an activist life and why and how you decided to join BYP 100. Yeah, so um, specifically with BYP 100, I think just like a lot of black folks and and other folks around the country, um, I just kind of reached a point where the constant circulation of Black death, particularly through police violence, um, I just felt like I had to, to get involved. Um, and I was infuriated by just seeing the continued lack of justice for Black life in this country, not just due to police violence, but also um, state violence more broadly. So I was I was just infuriated by the lack of justice for, for Black life in this country, not just due to police violence and um, brutality, but just state violence more broadly. So 
the fact that um, just we don't have access to basic needs like shelter or jobs um, or education. Um, and in Chicago specifically, you know, we've had the um, biggest school closing in this nation's history with 54 schools closing, which mostly um, happen in black and brown neighborhoods. So um, it wasn't just police violence, but just kind of um, a plethora of issues um, affecting the black community that sparked me to get involved. But I specifically joined BYP 100 in the spring of 2015 um, after Freddie Gray was murdered and um, the Baltimore uprising ensued. Um, but there are a lot of cases of state violence that kind of planted seeds um, within me, um, seeds of like you know, me needing to be moved to action. So I think about Marissa Alexander, um, a black woman in Florida who was a victim of domestic violence and um, fired two warning shots um, in the air, not even directly at her partner at the time. Um, and, you know, she was sentenced to prison time. Um, and so we kind of see how that stand your ground law was enacted differently for a black woman um, than it was in the in the instance where, you know, Trayvon Martin was murdered and George Zimmerman was acquitted. Wow. Yeah. I am so glad you retold the story of Marissa Alexander because I didn't know that. But I know my first um, experience with this movement and probably the story I always return to is Trayvon Martin. Um, and how that story, when it broke, shaped me and changed my understanding of myself as a racialized person. But learning about Marissa Alexander teaches me something so different and more nuanced to that story, which I'm glad. I don't know that I'm glad to know, but I'm glad to know, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so you said uh, you joined in 2015. Was there something leading up to your wanting to join this part of a movement or did you always see yourself as an activist? Um, I think that when I became serious about how having a relationship with God and with Jesus was going to shape um, the decisions that I made it kind of put me on a path to social justice. So in college, I majored in sociology um, and that, you know, education was very important in my, in me becoming politicized. Um, and I kind of chose work that was social justice related after that. Um, but in terms of actually, um, you know, being moved to join an organization, I think, yeah, it's kind of like I was saying earlier, I think I just got to a point where, you know, everyone from Mike Brown to Walter Scott to Rakia Boyd to Renisha McBride, um, you know, I just couldn't, I could not not do anything anymore. Um, just as a, a black person, you know, in this country, um, and having personal um, experiences with people, not me directly, um, but 
you know, members of my own family being victims of police brutality um, and close friends of mine. Um, yeah, I just, I, I had to, <laughs> to yeah. join, do something. I, I can only imagine, yeah, when it hits that close to home with family and people you know and witnessing it all around you. Um, since uh, joining BYP 100 and um, participating in this work, have you seen an influence of your um, social justice advocacy influence your faith? Or does your, you said kind of earlier that your faith had led you or led you to this work. Does now the work influence how you feel about God? I think that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think that I would would not have gotten involved in community organizing, um, activism without my faith. Um, I I very much see, um, you know, Jesus and and um, Jesus's radical example of love um, and coming so that everyone can have like abundant life um, as being really central to my, my community organizing organizing has kind of helped me, um, just become aware of some of those issues, um, so that I can transcend them and just relate to God in a way that's more, um, full given, given my black identity. Yeah. Wow, I I loved the term you used, decolonizing faith, and because so much of how our faith as Christian people was spread was through colonization, and so trying to strip away some of the difficult, horrific parts of our history, but also maintain this Jesus and what Jesus is calling us to, I think is important. I don't know if I said that well. <laughs> I can edit that part out too. <laughs> um, yeah. How, this is a question I didn't prepare or send you in advance, but I wonder how you are decolonizing faith or what that means to you. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the playbook for that. Um, I think that it is one of the ways that I'm doing that is I'm finding spaces to um, feel connected to God and experience, you know, the Holy Spirit in places that sometimes aren't church. Um, so, for example, you know, we might be at a rally or something um, and when there, when there gets to a point where, um, let's say that if, you know, there was a scenario where we were doing a march and people wanted to, um, come into the streets and like the police were telling us to get off the sidewalk. I think that, um, you know, just kind of realizing that that's a moment where God can kind of empower me to, um, not be moved and to stay kind of, um, within the streets and, um, you know, d directly kind of 
confront the state and the government in a way um, um, and, and do that in community with other people. I think that's a very spiritual experience that, that can happen like when you're actually out doing actions and protests. Yeah. Wow. That's really beautiful. I think, and I imagine that that's what Jesus was doing with his life or what God was doing by entering this world and being an alternative or conflict to uh, the powers that be or the empire that rules in Jesus's day and how we can continue to be that by standing in the street and not being moved when we might be pressured to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, do you have any recommendations for people who are looking to engage in activism or community organizing or this part of um, being active with your faith, maybe through standing up to uh, organizations and empires around us? Yes, I do. Um, so I think that one of the, the aspects of this work that's really underestimated is um, educating ourselves and learning from past movements. So one of the things that I've been working on personally is just really trying to dedicate time to my political education um, I'm reading or listening to rather a really great book that um, is can be found on Audible from um, it's called From Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation and it's by Kianga Yamada Taylor um, and just very very um, informative it talks about kind of um, past movements and how we can learn from them um, and you know, one of the things that I'm really realizing is that oftentimes advancements in um, change are not really one with the folks who are in government. It's not one by the people who are in the White House. It takes um, people to be out in the streets um, because the status quo is not going to be changed unless there is some demand to do that. And, and in order to do it in a way that's going to be sustained and um, really create change and, and put pressure um, on the folks that the stakeholders that have the power um, is being in, involved in an organization. Um, one of the reasons why I don't necessarily identify as an activist, but I, tend to use the term community organizing um, is because you can be an activist and have a Twitter following or bring people out to one event, but that's not going to um, bring in folks who, who will be consistently tied to an organization that will have a strategic approach to how they're going to demand change. Um, so joining an organization is critical and also reading authors like Angela Davis, like Kianga Yamada-Taylor, Barbara Ransby, um, you know, BYP 100 specifically works through a Black queer feminist lens. Um, and so those are, um, those are the, 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 that's kind of the political lens through which um, I work and try to educate myself on. So um, 
yeah, I would say definitely read and, and get tied into an organization that's within your community. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll put links to all of those uh, books and authors that you listed um, in the show notes. I'm really excited to pick some of those up and read them over the break. Um, I think to, I have, I think a lot about the Bible. That's my job and slash mm-hmm. my thing I like to do because <laughs> I'm a nerd. But I, I think most of the people, particularly in the New Testament, are community organizers. You were talking about you don't want just a person who can tweet out wonderful things, but somebody who's working in the community to build up coalitions that work together and support one another is what I heard you saying. And I feel like Paul does that really well when he travels to different cities, uh, sharing stories, but also then writing letters back to them and helping them grow churches and connect them to each other. And he continues to go back to those places and continues to check in on the community. Like a community organizer doesn't just leave the people to, doesn't just like say, here's the thing, do it this way, but like continues to circle back around and be in relationship with people. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Building strong relationships with the people in communities, um, with, with other organizations you're in coalition with. That's such a foundational part of good community organizing. Yeah. So I'll call you Valerie, the community organizer from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, lastly, uh, this is another question I didn't prep you for, but I, (laughs) I would love to know what you do for self-care, how you care for yourself. Because I think community organizing, activism, faith life, being a human in the world all take a lot, a, a great toll on us. And I'm wondering what you, how you care for yourself in the midst of all that. Yeah. Um, it changes from week to week. Um, but one of the things that I'm definitely very blessed to have um, is a really supportive family um, and really, really supportive friends um, that I've actually met through BYP 100 who have um, now kind of become chosen chosen family for me. So community is really important. Um, and prayer, the way that I pray typically is through journaling. Um, and I'm also a part of a small group that meets once a week. Um, so there's just a lot of like life sharing and and prayer that is something that helps to sustain me. Um, and then of course, just like television, Netflix, um, I know (laughs) you just need a break from thinking about oppressions from time to time. So, um, I, I really like comedies. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's been a big thing. I recently binged, uh, Broad City um, (laughs) and, um, and chewing gum, I think is like my all time favorite show. Yes. (laughs) It is like not gotten the press that I want it to. And it's so good. I'm Mm -hmm. so glad you mentioned that. Um, (laughs) yeah. Jesus 
totally did self-care. He like, I think that's how we have the Lord's Supper, actually, is he was like, hold up, y'all. We need to have a meal. (laughs) Drink a little too much wine. (laughs) This is our version of Netflix. But yeah. Well, Valerie, anything else for the good of the people? Um, <laughs> you can say no. This is the Fortify podcast, um, the Urban Village Church Discipleship podcast, and I am so thankful, Valerie, to have you on it today. Thanks for talking with me. And Thank you. Yeah, I learned so much and I'm really excited to share it with our folks and share all of the links to the organizations and books that we've been talking about, including Chewing Gum, the new (laughs) Netflix series. You have to go watch it. Um, If you have been inspired by this podcast or felt that it was giving life to you, please uh, consider giving to Urban Village Church. Your financial donation helps us continue to do really cool ministry like this. You can donate by going to the donate button. Uh, at Urban Village Church backslash give, or there's a link below, or you can text 77977. Oh, wait, wait. You text UVC to 77977. I've clearly never done that, but that's okay. Who texts to give anymore? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, Valerie, thanks, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Urban Village Church is one church with four sites located in Chicago, Illinois. UBC seeks to create Jesus-loving, inclusive communities that ignite our city. Learn more about this unique, LGBTQ-affirming, anti-racist church by visiting the website at urbanvillagechurch.org. There you can internet stalk me, Aaron James Brown, and learn more about our worship times and all the other things you're wanting to know. This episode of Fortify Podcast was recorded and produced by me, Erin, as a part of the UBC Discipleship Programming for 2017.